Father, we thank you once again for your words of life. They are perfect for reviving the soul. They are a two-edged sword that pierces to the depths of our heart. Your words give life and your words reveal what we need to work on. And you're always speaking, Lord, to us. May we have ears to hear this morning. May we be encouraged and challenged to become more like Christ. And I pray for your help, Lord, as I bring your word to your people, that I would just share what's here in the text, and that uh, through this all, you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our lives are like a novel. And what I mean by that is that there's many chapters. The first chapter of life begins with a lot of sleep. You don't even remember that chapter of life. There's a chapter of life when your parents were taking care of you and the diaper changes. The next chapter of life is learning alphabets and reading, going to grade school, then come the teenage years of exploring and testing things out. And then the fun years of life at the end of high school when you're going off to college and leaving your parents home out of their, under, out of their um, nest. And then comes love and marriage, which go together, like Frank Sinatra would say, like a horse and carriage. And then come the mid-years and your kids get older, they leave the house and you become grandparents and now you're playing with your grandkids. Well, you see, it's at the end of the teenage years, we come to a thing that we often dread writing and maybe somebody even asks you to help them write this. It's a six-letter six letter French word called resume. And you're sitting there for long hours trying to make it look really nice because recruiters only spend five to seven seconds looking at your resume is because your old email, dmenis underscore m5 at Hotmail, is not professional anymore, so you need to change it. And so, in your resume, you're supposed to write down your skills, abilities, qualifications for the purpose of securing this job. And one thing that I've noticed that's very interesting is that when we begin to write our resumes, all of a sudden, we are a spectacular specimen of a man or woman. All of a sudden, you have excellent communication skills, and leadership skills, excellent work ethic, excellent ability to work on a team, although you've done that for five minutes in high school. If you would ever apply for a church position, it would, something, it would look something like this. Choir members become possessing angelic vocals for Levitical ministry. Similar voice to Johnny Cash or Celine Dion. Sunday school, becomes, Sunday school teacher becomes educating the next generation toward eternal change. And greeter becomes seeker of lost souls and lifter of church spirits. So that might sound a bit comical, but God has always been looking for workers in his kingdom, for workers in his vineyard. Israel was led out of Egypt, and they were called to be a priesthood. And today, as the church, we are the priesthood who is serving. God has always had an ad in a newspaper stating, vine workers wanted immediately. This is what we see in our passage this morning, as Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, and I trust in the Lord. In verse 24, it ends in the section, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And Paul is saying, I have no one like him. So God's looking for women, men and women who are ready and willing to do vine work. And this is the New Testament ministry that we're talking about that we're going to see in the in, in, in this young man, Timothy, because ministry is the ministry of the one another's. It's very much people and not so much.
programs. God is not looking for people who are going to fill positions. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for men and women of character. And I want to turn your attention to this picture here. And if we want to, I just want to share with you a little bit more of what I mean when we speak about the trellis and the vine. Oftentimes when we pull up our resume, we are talking about our qualifications, what we are able to do. And in God's kingdom, in God's paradigm, God, it does matter how much you can do, but what is more important is who you are. What is more important is your character, your proven worth. And so oftentimes in churches, there's a lot of programs and we fill different positions and you do need programs for there to be structure in the church. But more and more what we see, God cares more about character. The qualifications for a pastor outside of one, of being able to teach, all of the rest of them are about character. They're about the inner person. If we look at the Christian virtues that make the church flourish and grow, it's all about character and the inner person. In the midst of all of the trellis work that we do here at Gateway, we must not forget the important characteristics to do divine work. But typically, the inner work is neglected because it is harder, because you have to put more effort into this. And so, God would want us to do the ministry of the trellis, but also work on the vine itself. And so, Paul sets forth here an example for us this morning of Timothy. He holds up Timothy as a model for us, as he already pointed us to Christ as the humble servant. But if Christ was too high of an example, what Paul does now is he gives us the example of Timothy, who is very much like us, a worker in the kingdom, a one who is a humble servant. And I would say that this is the position that we've all signed up for, as Paul says that he is a slave of Christ, a servant. This wasn't the fine print on the job qualification. This was the number one header, the most important part. And so Paul brings us down to street level with the example of Timothy. And I think when the bar is set high, we are challenged to grow. You know, Steph Curry, as he was growing up, he was looking to LeBron James and Michael Jordan. If you read the, his story of Spurgeon, he was constantly watching his mother in prayer. Maybe you look up to a colleague in the office or a student in class. For me personally, it was John Piper. I wanted to love Christ like he loved Christ and be passionate about Christ like he was passionate about Christ for his glory. I learned from my father, see, waking up early in the morning and see him constantly in prayer or watching the hospitality of my mother. You see, an example causes us to level up to something and see what we need to work on. And so Paul is raising us before us, Timothy, and telling us to look at his example. And we've been talking about this ever since we began the book of Philippians. In chapter 127, the example of balancing life and speech, the inner walk and the outer walk. Last week, we heard about being humble, thinking of others' interests and serving others, being sacrificial like Christ, working out our salvation in verse 13 and 12 with fear and trembling. So what is on Timothy's resume that we need to work on having ourselves? What are the things that are that important? And so as we've been seeing practically what God would desire of us, I want us to pause this week and next week. And this week we're looking at Timothy. Next week we're going to be looking at Epaphroditus. 
and see an example of these two men who are fleshing out the principles that we have been studying so far in the book of Philippians. And with each characteristic that Paul affirms Timothy, we're challenged to consider how we are doing in this area. Would Paul say the same thing about me? If not, what would it take to be more like Timothy? What was it that he did that made a difference? And what would that look like in the ministry that I currently have here at Gateway? And so I want to call you to building your biblical resume. Build your biblical resume. Now, before we get into the main points, I want to share with you an important principle that we see again and again. People who are characterized like Timothy are useful in God's purposes. People who are characterized like Timothy are useful for God's purposes. God called us into his kingdom, and he has called us to bear fruit. You have been, beforehand, God prepared you for good works that you should walk in them. And the works are building up the body, the growth in the church, evangelism, edification. And look with me in verses 19 to, and 23. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul is not sending anybody. And if you know Paul, at the end of his letters, if we were to calculate the amount of friends he had, it was about 50 to 60. And at the end of his life, this is around AD 62, Paul is saying, I have no one like Timothy. He's sending Timothy, a Christian, characterized by humble service, someone who is useful. And he's sending them, sending him to Timothy, sending him to Philippi to see how the Christians there are doing. Now, this would put a fire under anyone's butt. <laughs> I am telling you that you need to work on being humble and serving other people. And guess what? I'm going to send Timothy and I'm going to make sure that you guys are doing this. This is what Paul is doing at this moment. He says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I want to be cheered by news of you. I want to hear a good report. I've called you to walk worthy of the gospel. I've called you to humility. I've called you to work out your salvation. I've called you not to grumble. And now I'm going to send Timothy. And I want to make sure that you're doing that. And I want to hear a good report. And Paul is saying that he is confident. He is confident that this is going to happen. He wants to be encouraged that they are walking in obedience. And ultimately, he is doing this because he has a genuine concern for them. He really cares about this church. A church that's strategically located on this road where there's a lot of travel, he really loves this church and he wants to see them growing and being in union and unity so that the gospel obviously may go forth. And so, People who follow up with you in your life, like Paul is doing, are people who love you. And so here we see our very first characteristic that is on Timothy's resume. And Paul gives us an explanation here in verse 20. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So what is the first thing that is on Timothy's resume? Kingdom-centered goals. Kingdom-centered goals. By way of introduction, I want to ask, who is Timothy? Who wants to send Timothy to you soon? Well, Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother and Gentile father. 
We could say he was a normal guy like the rest of us. He would have easily fit into our multi-ethnic Bay Area that we live in. And then they met probably on one of the missionary journeys. Timothy was enlisted with Paul on a second journey in Acts 16, which we read. And Timothy had to cultivate this mindset. Timothy was with Paul. He was his protege. He was learning from him. He was alongside of him. He was walking with him and eating with him and living life together. And Paul is saying, out of all of the people that I've been ministering with, I have no one like him. What does it mean that Paul says he has no one like him? It literally means to have an equal soul, to have a kindred spirit, the sharing of heart and mind. Let me explain how this looks like. Have you ever met somebody, and when you meet them for the first time, you begin sharing your life together, and you begin to enjoy their company, they love in and out, and you love in and out. They love going to the beach, and you love going to the beach. You love Bible studies, and they love Bible studies. You love whatever it is, and they love it too. They love hanging out at fun cafes, and you do too. Now, if this is a guy with a guy or a girl with a girl, you are kindred in spirit. All of a sudden, you want to hang out with this person all the time. Why? Because they resemble you, and you don't have to really budge a lot. You work well together. Now, if this is a guy and a girl, we would call this your soulmate. I found my soulmate. We fit so perfectly together. Now, this is what Paul has in view here. Timothy is one who shares in mind and in purpose, equal in soul with Paul. He served with me in the gospel, Paul says in verse 23, as a son with a father. Now, specifically, where was this like-mindedness? Was it in simply his interests and his desires? The like-mindedness was in the purpose. It was in fulfilling the purpose of the church. Paul cares for the Philippians, and Timothy cares for them just as much. Paul cares for the gospel going forth, and Timothy cares about the gospel going forth. This is an older pastor training a younger one, and the younger one, because he's spending time with this seasoned pastor, is becoming like him. He is like a mentor, Paul, teaching Timothy about biblical truth. You become like the people that you are around. You become like the people that you sit under. You become like the people that you spend time with. And if you spend time with people that God has surrounded you with in the church, all of a sudden you will realize more and more that your desires are going to be more Christ-centered and biblical. Now, this does not mean that there was never disagreement, but it means that your core values and priorities fit well together and you are on the same page. Now, this is an idea, there's an idea that's been circulating in the last decade where people are studying why workers work really well in their jobs. Because some people seem to outgrow and progress better than other people in the same position. And they did a study trying to figure out why it is so. And they came to the conclusion that people who fit in with the vision and the mission of the company tend to do better in their jobs. They're more driven in their careers because they are like-minded with the purpose of the company. So if you were working at Nike, 
just do it, you would be like-minded with Nike to getting people into a healthier lifestyle. You might have heard the phrase, because you're worth it. You'd be like-minded with L'Oreal to help women feel better about themselves. Designed for driving pleasure. You might be like-minded with BMW to help people have the ultimate driving experience. If I can do that, it's a commercial voice. The quicker picker-upper, you might be like-minded with Bounty to help distraught moms try to wipe the cereal off the floor with paper towels. Can you hear me now? Good. You might be like-minded with Verizon to help people who actually use a phone as a phone to have a better connection. If you work for God's kingdom, you're like-minded for the same goal. Edify believers, evangelize the lost, exalt God through all of this. And this is what Paul is saying here. I have no one like him, one who is like-minded in what we are trying to accomplish. Timothy understands the purposes of God and the purpose of Paul. Do you understand why you exist? Are you on the same page with God's eternal purposes? Paul is training men to think like he thought. Timothy was alongside Paul and he was moved in his heart with his deep desire for Christ to be honored and glorified. Now it's very interesting. Paul says here, for I have no one like him. Paul is in Rome. Timothy is with Paul. We read a little bit earlier, what does it mean that Paul has no one like him? In chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, there are people who are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition from rivalry. Those men who cared more about their reputation and their status than they cared for people. Maybe Paul is referring to them, that they, he has no one like them. But at the same time, like I already mentioned, this is toward the end of Paul's life. Paul's built so many relationships. Paul's met so many people on his missionary journeys. Could it really be that there is nobody like Timothy? Could it really be that there's nobody who we will later see is genuinely concerned for people's well-being and their souls? What this goes to show is what is of utmost importance in the kingdom of God. What is of utmost importance in Paul's mind? It is not so much your ability, but it is your character that matters so much more. So what made Timothy unique? The second thing Paul gives us here on Timothy's resume is family-like care. Family-like care. Timothy here we see, I have no one like him. Okay, what is Timothy characterized? How is he characterized? Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? Genuine concern. Now I want to ask you, think of the last time someone was genuinely concerned or cared for your soul. I'm talking about somebody who stepped into your life, somebody who asked you the hard questions, somebody who went deep into your heart and then followed up with you, prayed with you, and sought to see where you're at and see how you're doing. And sometimes we might say, well, that's a little bit deep, that's beyond my comfort zone. I don't really like when people get into my quote-unquote business, how I'm doing in my spiritual walk or how my family is doing, or how my marriage is doing. But it depends really who you are speaking to, is it not? If it was just a stranger on the street who's asking you how you're doing, you might not be sharing a lot with them, but 
when it is a family member, when it is someone who is of the family of God, a church member asking your brother or sister, it might be very free. You see, we are a family. The church is called God's household. And this is what Paul is saying here about Timothy. I want to share a few things with you. George Barna in his book, What Americans Believe, he said this, quote, Americans are among the loneliest people on earth. Now this could be because of our fast-paced lifestyle. This could be because of the individualism that we have grown up in. Very much the culture is impressing ideas and thoughts upon us that we might not even notice. I was listening to Timothy Keller the other day, and I believe this, the culture is teaching us something. And I want to ask you if these statements resonate with you. He said this is what the culture is all about. Number one, you have to be true to yourself. Number two, in the end, you have to do what makes you happy. Number three, no one has the right to tell anyone what is right or wrong. Does that sound familiar? In this kind of culture, we add other things. Well, then, if it, this is the case, then why are people, why would people need to be digging into my life to see how I am doing? But you see, the church is something that is more beautiful and is designed by God himself, and he has created it in an amazing way. And the idea of concern and family-like care is on every page of the New Testament. Living life together, sharing life together, sharing our burdens and our joys and our victories is what the Christian life is about. First Corinthians, it says that there should be no division, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, what does it mean here when Paul says that I have no one who is genuinely concerned. The idea of concern is an anxious concern. It's really the positive side of anxiety. So anxiety is the negative side. Don't be anxious for anything. But on the positive side, if we flip it around, there is a positive anxiety, which is called concern. You are concerned or your parents are concerned when you're out and about. Well, not many of you here in this room, right? But it's past 1030 and they're texting you how, where you're at. Or a church member touches base with you because you missed a small group. That is a genuine concern. There's a little bit of an anxiety. I haven't seen you for a while. I really care for you. My heart yearns for you. Where were you? We have to understand the extremes. There's a balance. Caring should not lead to anxiety. So caring for people should not lead you to be overly anxious for them. But freedom from anxiety should not lead us to lack a concern for the people that are around us. Paul is saying, I have no one like Timothy who is going to be genuinely concerned. Genuinely concerned. Now, we know the difference in our life. I think everyone uh, who is of a different culture understands what, what I mean. And if you've traveled across, you come across, people say, well, in America, people ask you how you're doing. And then just move on. How are you doing? And they just keep walking. They, they really didn't mean how you're doing. They just meant hello. But we just use this phrase, how we're doing. And our, oftentimes our answer is, good. I'm doing good. Now, we know the difference when someone really is asking us how we're doing and they're genuinely concerned versus they're asking how you're doing just because they have to ask how you're doing 
because you're crossing paths as you're walking down the aisle. You see, there's a difference. A genuine concern will pause. A genuine concern will stand there, have eye-to-eye contact, have a conversation that lasts more than 30 seconds. A genuine concern would mean that at small group you come together and you spend 20 minutes talking with someone and getting to know what's going on in their week and in their life. A genuine concern is what Timothy had. We should be concerned for everyone's welfare. Paul says here, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your, in the plural, for all of your welfare. So those of us who are experiencing ourselves in the family, I'm so grateful, first of all, to be here at Gateway because we, I see this genuine concern ever since I started attending. People caring and asking how we're doing. And so I want to give you two questions that you can ask if sometimes you're on the fence of what do I talk about with people when I come across them in the church outside of simply how are you doing? And so the first question that you can always ask is how is your walk with the Lord? Now this is a question about the foundational things in life like the word and prayer. How's your walk with God? Are you hearing God and are you speaking back to God in prayer? How's your walk with the Lord? And I love this question because it cuts straight through all of the fluff sometimes that when we're not doing well, we're like, yeah, I'm doing good. I read like three times this week. What what does that mean? That means I'm really not doing too well, but I read three times. I just want to tell you that so that I feel a little bit better myself. It wasn't seven times, but it was three times. But don't ask me any more questions because I already feel a little bit uncomfortable. So how's your walk with the Lord? And second question, what has God been teaching you recently? What what has God been teaching you recently? This is a question about sanctification. Because our Christian life is not separated from everything else that we do in our life. Our Christian life is not separated from work or from marriage or from parenting. So it is through those avenues and channels that God is teaching us things and he's working on our characters. Now, This is genuine concern. Yes, we talk about the simpler things of life, of cars, homes, and vacations, and that's good, but we should always seek to go deeper. Go to the spiritual matters because at the core, we are spiritual beings, are we not? Yes, it's nice to know how our health is doing, how our finances are doing, but how's your soul doing? I'm genuinely concerned. How are you doing as a person? And so I want to encourage you, be open to receiving genuine care. You are in God's family. And praise God for people who are continually doing that. Now, another question I do want to ask is, where is this happening? What is the context of this? Now, we would assume that as Timothy is coming to the church at Philippi, he is going to be going from home to home. Because in that culture, it's very hospitable. There were not a lot of inns. There weren't hotels. You didn't just show up. For you to be taken care of meant that a family, a household would have to bring you into their home and you would spend time together with them. So Timothy would be visiting the church as a whole where they're gathering and most likely visiting the homes where the people are living. So where is the context where genuine care happens? Well, on Sunday, this is a corporate service. It's a corporate gathering. We sing, we listen. Some of us use our spiritual gifts, but the majority of us listen. The time of, or the place, or the context where this can happen are places like home groups and women's and men's small groups. 
and times after church where we can get together and share and talk about our life. This is what, what is designed by God. That Sunday is just the opening act of the week, and the rest of the week is the time where we share life together. Now, this is really the difference between a house and a home. Have you ever thought about what is the difference between those two? A house is simply a building. A home is a place where people live, a place where life is happening, where relationships are built. And 1 Timothy 3 says that the church is the household of God. You know what it's like to be in your home. You're comfortable. You turn on the TV when you want to. You open the fridge. You get whatever you would like because it's your home. Our relationships are interconnected, so a home and a household is a place where we're comfortable to share life, to open up. Family speaks of intimacy, care, concern, and openness. And this morning, as we are looking at this very important characteristic, which is the title of the sermon, Genuine Concern, I want us to ask ourselves, how are we doing in this area? Are you committing to God's design of living life together? Yes, it's not easy, but I'll tell you one thing, it is so worth it. It is so worth it when you have many people who are closer to, to you than at times your blood brothers and sisters, because the family of God bridges all of us together. So Timothy at kingdom-centered, was kingdom-centered in his goals, yet family-like care, Third, Christ-honoring interests. Christ-honoring interests. Now, once again, in verse 21, we see, or verse 20, we see four as an explanation of why Paul is sending Timothy specifically. And in verse 21, the list continues. Now, Paul is going through a stack of resumes. He can't find qualified people because most people care simply about themselves. This is what he says. Verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And once again, I'm thinking to myself, really they all do? Everyone is seeking their own interests? There's really no one like Timothy? The reality is people care more about themselves than they care about the needs of others. They're just caught up in their own life. Really, it's sad to be in a state that you're looking so much at your own interests, you miss out on God's greater purposes. Now, oftentimes I ask myself this question. Yes, I believe that everything that Christ said was perfect, but do I believe that everything Christ did was perfect? Do I believe the way that Christ lived his life in selfless sacrifice was the perfect way to live as we just heard last week? as he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, and then God highly exalted him. You see, all seek their own interests. This speaks about a continuous lifestyle. It speaks that they're striving after something. Again, this could be referring to those people in verses 15 to 17 who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some doing it out of love, but others there, the former out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment? Are those the people that Paul is talking about who are striving after? This is a present tense and it's an ongoing thing. They're striving about their ambitions, building their kingdom here on earth and what they want to accomplish, their devotion. You see, when we read the scriptures, I thank God that we have examples like the Zebedees 
I thank God that we have the examples like the disciples of Jesus. First of all, the Zebedees, who want to sit one on the left hand and one on the right hand of Christ. And then again, the disciples before, on the eve of Christ uh, in the upper room, are arguing among themselves on the way to the upper room about who's the greatest among them. And I read those passages and I say, thank you, Jesus, that this is in the Bible, because sometimes I am this person. And I need to see the reality of Scripture, that we are people who are in the process of sanctification and we're not perfect. Now, this could happen. This kind of thinking could happen in any church. And this kind of thinking was happening in the church here at Philippi. I want to look again with you in verses 3 to 4. Just glance with me. I want to read them to you. Look what Paul is calling the church of Philippi to do. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why would Paul need to address this issue or specifically bring it up if it was not happening? The reality is that it was happening. Now, what would this look like in a 21st century Christianity? I thought of a few ways how my personal interest could get in the way of serving and being genuinely concerned for others. It doesn't fit my schedule. It's too late for me. It's too early for me. I'm a little bit busy. I don't like to do that. That's really not my personality. I'm more of an introvert, not an extrovert. Um, it, I don't, it doesn't fit my, you know, all those personality test types. It's more the stuff that kind of Dennis can do, you know, and, and broad and outgrown personalities and people around me. Or that's just not for me. I don't think I'd be able to give up that much. I don't think I'd be able to sacrifice that much. And so I can't do it. What Paul is saying here that the church is not simply about getting by in relationships with people. It's about deepening those relationships further and further than where they're already at. What does this ultimately lead to? What is the ultimate result when people, and we as a church, are not seeking our own interests, but those of Christ? Well, in verse 13 and 12, the body is built up. The body is built up when people are working out their salvation with fear and trembling and moving from pride to humility. And secondly, in verses 14 to 18, in our previous verses, the gospel is being shared. Now, I want to share with you a quote from Wearsby, a quote that stuck to me ever since I read it. He said this, in a very real sense, all of us will either live in Philippians 1.21 or 2.21. In Philippians 1.21, we read the, this verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Philippians 2.21, we read, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So in a very real sense, we will either live in one or the other. Now on occasion in life, we might live in both. But may the priority of our life be to live in 121. This is what Jesus said much about. The work is great, the laborers are few. There's workers needed in the vineyard. We need fine workers, people who will genuinely be concerned for the welfare of others. People who do the hard work of body life. 
I realized that in life, when we think too much about self, we miss opportunities to minister to others. When we think too much about self, we miss opportunities to minister to others that God puts right before us. And going back to last week, I want to highlight what is true humility. True humility, if we look at verse 5, is a proper attitude towards self that results in proper actions toward others. True humility means renouncing self for the sake of others. True humility yields any rights for the sake of serving others. True humility means lowering myself to lift others up. True humility serves others in obedience to God, even at great personal cost. And this is exactly what Timothy was doing. You see, relationships are hard because relationships involve two things, time and effort. And apart from time and effort, you won't be able to build a relationship. But if you put time and if you put effort, intentionality, you'll be able to do that. And this is why Paul is sending Timothy. He was a, a man who was putting time and effort into people's lives. He was one who was genuinely concerned for the welfare of those at Philippi. He was not the one seeking his own interests, but the interests of Jesus Christ. And what is the interest of Christ? That his bride would be built up. That his bride would be holy and blameless before him. That his bride would honor him. And so... Paul says, I hope to send Timothy. Why? Because I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned. Why? Because they all seek their own interests. But Timothy is different. And in verse 22, we see that Timothy is a different person. He embraced this lifestyle of service to others. He's taken Christ to be his role model. He's embraced that, and now he's living it out. And in verse 22, we see the last characteristic here of Timothy, which is proven character. Proven character. And I want to read it once again. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And this is why he says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So proven character. I think we all like to work with people who, know that, who we know that they can do the job. And I think those are the people that are always, oftentimes the most joyful to work with and the easiest to work with. And Timothy is this kind of worker. He has proven worth. Now, this idea of proven worth is testing something to get a result. Proven means that it has been tested. And I don't know if you know, but pretty much all of you test things on a daily basis. And I will explain to you how this looks like. One of two ways. Number one, if you need to buy anything in your home, you go on Amazon.com and you type in what you need and what do you look for? Reviews. Proof. Proven things that people have tested and tried and they said, this thing is, doesn't look like it just came, you know, in the little baggie from China. I don't know what it was and then it broke. But this thing was made with quality and it's proven and I've used it. That's for your home. Now you do the same thing when you want to go out to eat. You go on this little website called Yelp and you type in what kind of food you like to eat. And then you look at the stars and then you read the reviews. And again, you are testing that where you're going to go is going to be a good place to eat. 
This is what Paul means when he speaks about Timothy as being proven. He has been tested. He has been tried on the missionary journeys in the church, serving other people, and he has this genuine care. His character has been proven to be who he says that he is. It is visible to everybody. And first of all, this is what he tells the church at Philippi, but you know, you know, this, this is not something that you are not aware about. You know Timothy, you've been with him. You've seen his character. We know that character is really produced through suffering. Romans 5 teaches us that there's no way that we're going to get to a place of having the character that God wants us to have without suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's testing. Timothy's proven worth. How do, we, how do we test or assess worth? I think worth is typically assessed by someone to ask you how you're doing. They would assess your worth by maybe figuring out how much money you have or the kind of car you drive or your ability or your giftedness. External accomplishments. You know how God tests your proven worth? By service. Are you continually being obedient to what he's called you to do? Evidence of proven character is faithful service. Christ has saved us from sin, and he didn't just save us from sin for us to have a good time together in the church, which we are doing. But the way that we have a good time, the way that we live life together and enjoy life together is by serving each other. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is saying, a servant of Christ. And then Christ himself took on the form of a servant. And Paul is saying that Timothy is a servant. Why? Here is the explanation. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Specifically, it was service in the gospel. Here's a couple pictures he gives us as a son with a father. This is a picture of intimacy, a picture of partnership, a picture of a father and a son, a protege and a teacher going on. And he said, it was with me. They're co-workers together, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Verse 1, this is the whole picture of the book of Philippi, is that we are all servants in Christ's kingdom. And why was he serving? Or where was he serving? In the gospel. Really, it's all about the gospel. This book is all about the gospel of Christ. At the heart of the gospel, what we see is a, is a Messiah who is obedient. Verse 2-6. Obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. At the heart of the gospel, we see selflessness. And Paul's greatest focus was in the gospel going out. So what can we summarize this description as as someone who has proven worth? Well, it's a person who is devoted. He is humble. As a son with a father, this idea and his interchange there of humility, Timothy is learning from Paul but also loyalty. As a son, he is loyal to the Father. And so how do you know your character is proven? Or how can you test that you have what Timothy here has proven worth? You are serving and you are loyal. And so for these reasons, Timothy is Paul's go-to guy when it comes to sending someone to the Philippians to minister on his behalf because he is in prison. He wants to send someone who is like him. 
And I want to ask, what kind of person do you think Christ would want to send into a dying and a dark world? What kind of person would Christ want to send to be an extension of the ministry that he began here on earth? Yeah, Paul is sending Timothy to this church. But Christ is sending all of us, wherever we are at, to be an extension of his kindness, of his love, of his goodness to the people that are around us. Christ wants for people to come in contact with the gospel because that is why he came to earth. Christ wants to be glorified and ultimately, yes, he's glorified by strengthening you as a believer and giving you hope and purifying you. But it says that the angels are rejoicing over one soul that is saved. Paul again and again says he's going to send Timothy because he has these qualities. And he's going to join together soon with him. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So in conclusion, what do we see here on Timothy's resume? Humility, service, love, care. See, somebody who is really ultimately embracing the lifestyle that Christ had, the example of Christ that Paul gave in 2, 6 through 11. God is looking for workers and specifically vine workers in his kingdom, people who will work on the hard relationships, hard relationship building and the souls of the people that are around them. And so this morning, I'm calling you to build a biblical resume, to have kingdom-centered goals, to have family-like care, Christ-honoring interests, and proven character. I think there are two groups of Christians here this morning. First of all, there's probably many of you in this room whose resumes are filled with these characteristics. And praise God for that, that He is working in and through us for His glory. And you might just need to adjust the font and the size on your resume, and then you can send it off. It's good to go. Now, second, there are those who are working on the resume this morning, yet you might have forgotten what you've applied for. You hear sermons, but some things in life don't seem to work out. Maybe the reason why things are not working out because you are applying for the wrong position. You know, there's only one position in God's kingdom, and that is the position of a servant. Alongside Paul, the apostles, and every other saint who is with the Lord. Because a servant is no greater than his master, and Christ was a servant. And lastly, there is a third group of you here this morning who aren't even thinking about applying to work as a servant. servant. You're not affirming that you need a boss over your life. You think you are the boss of your own life. But we pray that God opens your eyes to see that this is the best enterprise you can work for. It's better than Google and Facebook or Netflix because God's kingdom pays eternal dividends. And we pray that you would submit your need to the Lordship of Christ Jesus because as we already read, every tongue, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray that this morning you would do that, that you would get a call from the only recruiter that God has 
the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your words of life. We thank you that you encourage us, that you challenge us, that you love us, and this is why you have left us your word, because your word is a mirror that reveals where we ought to work, but your word is also hope-giving. And all the things that you call us to do, you've already enabled us to do in Christ Jesus. And you've left us your Holy Spirit who lives within us to accomplish this work. And so we praise you for that. And we lean on you in this week for the rest of our lives to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel, to be people of proven character, to have Christ-honoring interests, to be those who ultimately are living our lives as servants in your kingdom. For your glory, we we desire to do this, Lord, and ultimately for our joy, because you are the one who taught us that it is better to give than to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.